Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle. I'm Bobby Osinski, and this is a show all about music, music production, and the music business. My guest today is talk boxer, producer, and CEO of Electrospit, Bosco Conte. But let's start here. Everyone thinks that you can't make money from streaming, but it's been reported recently that Taylor Swift is in line to make more than $100 million this year just from Spotify alone. Add in publishing revenue, and she's been calculated to earn $131 million. This is based on her 26.1 billion streams, that's billion with a B, and this is only from the beginning of the year. When you add in Apple Music, YouTube Music, and Amazon Music, it's estimated that she'll make nearly $200 million just from streaming this year. The 26.1 billion streams is a record of sorts, because previously Bad Bunny had the most Spotify streams with 18.5 million last year, 9.1 the year before, and 8.3 billion the year before that. 8.5 billion equates to about $90 million in streaming income. Now, just so you get your arms around it, Spotify pays $4.83 per thousand streams, while Apple Music pays $8.54. That's including publishing. When artists complain about streaming royalties, they have to remember that the scale of everything in the music business has really changed. 100,000 or even a million streams are not that much anymore when it comes to streaming and won't even get you the attention of a record label. 50 million is now considered a minor hit, and you have to be in the hundreds of millions to be considered a hit these days. A global hit typically reaches a billion streams. Whatever you think a hit record is, put three zeros on the end of the number, and then you'll have today's streaming reality. If you have any questions or comments, you can send them to questions at bobbyosinski.com. Also, I'm pleased to announce that my new Musician's AI Handbook is now available. It's packed with information about how AI can help you with new song, lyric, mixing, and mastering ideas, as well as music marketing to help get your music out to the audience that you deserve. To get your copy, go to rebrand.ly forward slash AI Handbook. That's rebrand.ly forward slash AI handbook. You can also find it on Amazon and Apple Books. And now this. New computers aren't always as powerful as you think they should be. And a glaring example of this came recently when YouTuber James Zahn carried out an extensive test on a Mac computer with a brand new M3 Pro processor. What he surprisingly found was that some DAWs actually run faster on a computer using Apple's older M1 Pro processor. In his test, he created the same setup in Reaper, Cubase, Ableton, Studio One, Logic Pro, FL Studio, and Pro Tools. He then duplicated a track loaded with plugins until crackling and dropouts in the audio signal occurred, which meant that there was a CPU overload. The buffer in all cases was set to 1024. What happened is that Ableton Live, Avid Pro Tools, Persona Studio One, and even Apple's own Logic Pro all work better on the M1 computer rather than the brand new M3. Reaper and Cubase worked better on the M3, however. Turns out that there's actually a good reason for this, although it's not apparent at all just from looking at the specs. The M1 Pro has 10 cores, and the M3 Pro has 11 cores, which would make you think that it was more powerful. Just to clarify here, a core is a processing unit of the main computer's CPU. The more cores you have, 
the more programs that you can run at the same time, and the better the performance. Apple's new CPU architecture actually has two types of cores, P-cores, which are high performance, and E-cores, which are energy saving. The M1 Pro has eight P-cores and two E-cores, while the M3 Pro has five P-cores and six E-cores, and that's where the performance drop-off comes from. Once again, this is information that's not shown in the typical specs and you really have to dig for it. The E-cores are great for saving battery life, but a software developer has to take into account how they work in order to get the best performance from them, which apparently isn't happening yet. There are already so many specs that we have to be aware of before purchasing computers. We all knew that the number of cores in a processor was crucial for best performance. Now we have one more thing to think about. Bobby Osinski and Boss go from Electrospin on the Inner Circle Podcast, yeah! That was Bosco Conte, the CEO of Electrospit, on the ESX-1, the world's first tubeless talk box. Yes, you've heard that sound before in hits by Joe Walsh, Peter Frampton, Zapp and Roger Troutman, and many more. The traditional talk box is a horn driver that's attached to an amplifier on one end, with a plastic tube that goes into the player's mouth on the other. They're bulky and unsanitary. The idea for a tubeless talk box came when Bosco, who's a Grammy-winning artist and producer who also wrote the theme to the TV show In Living Color, was forced to lip-sync on stage with Kanye West at the American Music Awards because the traditional talk box was not portable. This disappointment set Bosco on a mission to reinvent the talk box, and a few years later, the Electrospit ESX-1 was born. Bosco is my guest today, and during the interview, we spoke about the unusual way he got into the music business, how adding a talk box to a track makes it much more interesting, the long road to the tubeless talk box, why its app is so important, his high wave incubator, and much more. I spoke with Bosco from his office in the Bay Area. Take me back to the beginning of your musical career, which I assume is before you went to college to become a mechanical engineer. Yeah, yes. Well, you know, I came from a, a musical family. Uh, my, my mom plays French horn and my um, grandmother plays trumpet and we would always play at Christmas, we would uh, all get around and play Christmas carols on on different instruments like the trumpet and the, the French horn, and I played trumpet. But I really got into hip hop when it became popular in the '80s. I started break dancing first, and then I won a set of turntables in a break dancing contest. And then I started DJing, and then I I, I uh, started making money DJing and used that money to buy some equipment and I. Um, got into computers really early, like an Atari 520ST and uh, Dr. T's music software. And I started, I got a four-track tape recorder and started making songs with the neighborhood kids in middle school. And didn't really see myself as a professional musician, but I really loved music. And I thought maybe I wanted to get into the music business. So I got a scholarship to USC I got I got accepted to USC and to Stanford, but I decided to go to USC because it was close to the music, the heart of the music business, Los Angeles for me. 
and and they had a recording engineering uh, program at USC. Now, of course, I didn't take any recording arts uh, engineering classes at USC. I just took mechanical engineering classes. But I met people in uh, in the business at USC. Got introduced to well, one of my friends on the basketball team. I also played basketball. Uh, introduced me to this guy named um, or this girl named Leah, whose boyfriend was named Moto, who was friends with uh, AMG, was friends with DJ Quick, and so that I kind of got introduced to the music business that way. Started working with this uh, DJ who was also in that circle named DJ Trey Ski, and he was the DJ behind the scenes for In Living Color, and when the In Living Color uh, needed a new theme song. They asked him to work on it, and he only sampled. So he asked me to help him work on it, and we, we did it together. They chose our theme song, so I ended up producing the theme song to In Living Color when I was in college, and that was my kind of big break and big turning point. And from there, uh, I decided I, I could be a music producer you know, in, instead of uh, just a mechanical engineer. And, <laughs> broke my grandmother's heart and became <laughs> a, a, a hip hop producer. Did songs for Tupac and the Outlaws, Tyree, Slip Biscuit, and E-40, Two Shorts, Spice One, a lot of artists from the Bay. And one of the things that I started, I got a record deal from Atlantic. And one of the first things I did was go down and buy a talk box with uh, some of the money because I had always wanted to play talk box and could never figure it out. A guy named Battlecat, DJ Battlecat, uh, helped me figure out how to use the thing. And I just, I, I ran with it. I took it and ran with it. So from then on, a lot of my production incorporated the talk box and I became one of the most, you know, well-known, successful talk box artists in addition to being a music producer and a singer or songwriter. Okay, what drew you to the talk box? Uh, well, so if you go back to the beginning of my story, uh, I used to break dance to songs like More Bounce to the Owls, which was like the best pop lock and break dance song ever. And of course, that song had the talk box as the, the basis. And, um, you know, I just always wanted to know how to make that sound and love that sound. And then uh, other songs I love, like Computer Love and California Love, just all of the stuff, Roger Troutman, his stuff really drew me to the talk box. And then I think once I started playing it, the reactions that I got from people when I played it, you know, any any track that I made, if I added talk box to it, it instantly became more valuable, more interesting, more likely to get placed. And, and I could be on the track as well. You know, I would, I, I, it allowed me to not, just be a producer but to also be a performer on the song and i love that part of the top box too which one did you buy was did you buy the heil uh yes that was my first one I, and then i started with the heil and then i i got the some years later i got the banshee so tell me how you got to the tubeless talk box the esx1 the talk box is Obviously, very um, has all these pieces, and it's not portable. The original talk box, and I would 
when I traveled with it, the you know, it would get broken if I put it in my luggage. If I went through security, they think it was they would think it was a bomb. <laughs> <laughs> so um, it was just a big hassle. And there were so many opportunities to play live that I missed because uh, I didn't have it with me. Or if I had it with me, they didn't have the, you know, the mic wasn't set up uh, close to the power outlet. There's just so many reasons I couldn't play. And the, the biggest one I always talk about is uh, when I played on the American Music Awards with Kanye West, I had to lip sync because they couldn't connect it up live. So I couldn't play live, which sucked because I wanted to get on there and improvise and, you know, really, really go off. Um, and I got inspired at that moment to create a portable version that I wouldn't have to deal with all those obstacles. And I went through an incubator in Oakland, California called Zoo Lab that was started by some ex-Googlers, Benita Watson and Dave Watson, and um, got a couple of uh, my wife to join me, uh, Maya Conte, a guy named Lance Coleman, and a child, uh, kind of a childhood friend, um, Pete Miser, to build uh, and start this company called Electrospit to build a portable talk box, which at the time we imagined was just going to be was going to be some cool merch to go along with our band, which our band was called Electrospit, and the, the portable talk box was going to be our unique merch. Um, but after going through the residency uh, in this accelerator at Zoo Labs, we decided to flip the whole thing on its head and make the talk box the primary and uh, the music was going to be the way that we would sell the hardware because we realized that people weren't making a lot of money off of music at the time unless you were a superstar and that's still probably that's still true but it's even more so true at that time the music industry was in a really uh bad uh slump it was uh 2014 yeah 2014. was the idea right from the beginning to make it tubeless no uh, initially the the plan was just to make it portable but we went through this uh workshop in the incubator where we thought about it was called a futures uh, a futures thinking workshop and you look at the you, the trends of the past five years and whatever you're working on and then you try to ex extrapolate to what's going to happen five years from now because it's, it's a lot more effective to try to compete with um other companies if you if you think uh in the future and the trends that we saw were production had gone from the, the big studio to the desktop computer to the laptop computer and we saw it moving to the mobile phone so we were trying to figure out how could we make a talk box that worked with a mobile phone and I, I admit I was skeptical uh very skeptical at first that we could make a professional quality product using a mobile phone but after some experimentation and uh we tried some different different technologies uh, we 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 got some I won't say great results at the beginning, but it, it felt like, okay, maybe there's something there. And uh, little by little, inter, you know, version by version, it kept getting better and better and uh, figured out how to make it more efficient. We we came up with a technology that didn't use the tube that uh, got, came, that produced a sound that initially felt very thin, but then that was with one uh, driver, but then when we added a second driver and some other acoustic uh, improvements, it, it, it sounded really, really good. And I think one of the big moments is when I took the prototype that I had built that had um, two drivers and, and let 
Teddy Riley tried, he was blown away. And we um, captured his reaction on video and released it on Instagram and people really went crazy. Okay, so tell me how you got to the point. Now, I know that using a tube and uh, attached to a driver, essentially you're modulating the sound with your mouth. Yes, that's correct, yes. But now with the ESX-1, you're not doing that so much. You're modulating, or, or are you? It seems like you're... you're it, it's it's actually, you know, it's it's very similar. So with the tube, you, you're, you know, you're creating sound. Well, the way that I like to describe it is with your voice, your, your vocal cords are buzzing, and then you're turning that into words with your mouth and, and, and your lips and uh, adding the consonant, all of those sounds and uh, changing the vowel sounds from I, 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 O, U. And what the traditional talk box does is instead of using your vocal cords to create that buzz, you pipe in sound with that tube and then you perform the same, you know, filter format modulation and, and add consonants to make sound. And what we did with the, and it worked great. And what we did with the electrospit is instead of piping the sound in through your mouth with the tube, we put the vibrations on your throat, on your neck, and then we send the sound via our uh, sound drivers through your neck and and then it comes out of your mouth the same way as if it was your vocal cords or or a tube. But the advantage is you don't have the tube, so it makes it easier to talk because you, you're not talking like roof. <laughs> yeah. with the tube in your mouth and and then it, i guess the advantage of using your own vocal cords is it doesn't get tired and you can you can play exactly the note that you want and you can you can play uh you can do things that you can't do with your voice in terms of uh, being outside of your range and you can add harmonies uh and, and just make a unique sound that sounds like the hit records of the past like roger troutman or stuff that stevie wonder or or even uh, Peter Frampton might have done. So uh, those are the advantages of, of doing it that way. I know when I was building them, I didn't build many, like five or six, but uh, you know, I knew how, how it was put together. And basically it was a horn driver that was being driven by usually a 100-watt Marshall amplifier. And the guitar players that would use them, it was always guitar players, they would complain after a while that their teeth felt like they were rattling, <laughs> you know, and, yes. and of course it would because there's so much power that that's actually coming and, and sound pressure level. So I'm pretty sure that this doesn't have that problem. No, we, we, we're at, uh, we're right around five watts. <laughs> <laughs> a big difference. Yeah. Yeah. But so it becomes an optimization problem. Like with, with the, you got a hundred watt amp, and you're going into this speaker that's uh, in a box that's, you know, whatever, six feet from your mouth. And it has to push the air through this tube into your mouth. And it has to be, uh, you know, loud enough to be picked up usually without a microphone or, you know, if you use a microphone, if you're performing in, a, in an arena or something like that. But we thought about it. How can we accomplish this with the least amount of power because we want it to be battery powered. So um, you you just make everything smaller and closer, and it's right on your neck. You use a microphone that you hold. You hold the microphone close to your mouth. You you use a signal that's optimized instead of 
a dirty uh, guitar signal that's low. You use a high level um, synthesizer sound that's clean. So there's less distortion and you don't need as much amplification. And then, you know, you have great technique and a good recording uh, equipment and all those things put together. You can get a sound that's, uh, I, I, I would say, as good or, or better than a hundred watt uh, amplified talk box from our five watt amplified <laughs> electrospit mobile talk box. Yeah, I've looked at your demos and heard your demos and that's certainly the case. Talk about a modern day solution. There you go. Mm-hmm. The app is integral to this. Was that always the idea? Not at all. Um, I, I, would, I would say that initially we didn't think about the app as much. It, the app was kind of aspirational and it was at first it was just maybe I can use the app for the synthesizer sound, but not necessarily the performance. So I would connect a MIDI, a MIDI keyboard. First up, it was just make let's just make it portable. So I, I connected it to an amplifier that was the same. I actually connected our, our technology, the driver, to the same Talkbox amp. And just instead of using the speaker inside of the Talkbox, I used uh, our drivers. Then I um, started using a synthesizer that was inside the phone. So I, I, I connected a MIDI keyboard to my iPhone and then took the output and ran it into uh, an amplifier and then ran that into our prototype. And then I, I got rid of the MIDI keyboard and started playing an on-screen keyboard. And initially it was like just with one finger and uh Cause I didn't, you know, I, yeah, I couldn't play it on, on the keyboard. It wasn't like proficient using the keyboard on screen. And then I, I was able to start programming an app myself. So I came up with a layout that I really liked and uh, started to learn how to play some songs. And over time I got better and better to the point where now I'm a better, I'm better at playing the, the keyboard than I, uh, on my phone than I am playing the keyboard, uh, the, the MIDI keyboard with the regular keys. So I really exceeded my expectations. <laughs> but the app will do so much more though, right? Absolutely. Well, there's, I mean, it's, it's really handy because you can, uh, you can change, you know, you can change keys really easily. It, it's, it's really, I, I can play really fast on the app. You can add uh, harmonies. You, you know, you can play chords like I can I can play chords and the lead at the same time. There's just a lot of uh, a lot of benefits to using the app and you can you can change the sounds, uh, the character of the sounds. Of course, you can do that with synthesizers as well, but we optimize everything in the app. So you have the right the right sound at the right volume. When you add harmonies, it, it, it also it still maintains the right level like if you're using a midi keyboard and you add you know you go from one note to two notes now it's louder and you have five notes now it's much louder so you have to turn it down dynamically so different things things like different tricks like that we can do with the app to make it easier to play and give you more functionality i saw that you recommend using a dynamic mic yes i would think that that's because you can get it closer to your mouth and handle it a little bit easier than, than a condenser. Certainly you wouldn't use a ribbon for that, but uh, is that the reason? 
Yes. So with the so when you play the way our the electrospit is uh, designed, you have the the drivers are on the outside of your neck, and so you're going to hear a certain amount of buzz from the synthesizer sound um, in the room, and and the dynamic mic kicks up the sound that's coming out of your mouth and rejects some of the sound that's coming off of your neck. So you get the sound that has been uh, filtered to sound like words rather than the sound that is just, you know, just this buzz. Okay, so you won the uh, Guthman competition last year, and now you're a judge this year. So tell me about that. I mean, it. first of all, winning, winning the uh, award was... Uh, you know, I did not expect to win it. I it was like a shock, and you know, a friend of, a friend of mine, a guy named Matt, who uh, works with Audio Kit, which is the software framework that we use to build the app, and a guy named Ari Prochaska, who um, we uh, worked with on developing the app, and he's also the creator. He's also the creator of Audio Kit. Uh, encouraged us to apply and to uh, for the Guffman Award, and um, you know we were just as shocked as anyone that we won. <laughs> but we thought what we were making was cool. But you know, to get that kind of recognition was just it, it was amazing. And one of one of my I, I got the award, you know, on stage from uh, someone that I really look up to, um, Jordan Rudis, who has just been an incredible. Uh, inspiration and, and pioneer in electronic music and uh, in using um, software uh, apps and um, synthesizers. And that was just an incredible experience. And then now to come back full circle and to be one of the judges is a huge, huge honor. Yeah, no kidding. That's very cool. And I and I and I admit that we have, you know, we we took it, we took the instrument, you know, a long ways. Like, you know, we developed and took it from a prototype and we did a Kickstarter and then, you know, we sold thousands of them. We it it, it was uh, you know, used by Stevie Wonder on the 50th anniversary theme song of Sesame Street and by uh David Guetta on records with Bruno Mars and um, and I performed on, you know, with Dua Lipa on Levitating, which is like the number 11 streaming song of all time. So, I, you know, I admit that, that we we did have some success with the instrument and uh, coming back and being asked to be a judge. Um, you know, I, I can I can see uh, I, I can see how it can make sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. <laughs> Okay, so tell me now about High Wave Incubator. Oh, yeah. So, you know, the experience building this instrument and we, we got so much support to build it. You know, uh, Zoo Labs initially with uh, figuring out how to put the hardware together and this guy, Dave Watson, uh, my, my first experience, I have a mechanical engineering degree. But most of the stuff that I did was much more, you know, lots of math and uh, physics, not so much work in the lab building. And when it came time to to build a prototype, you know, he 
he was up in the in the attic of of Lou Labs with me, just tearing apart uh, speakers and experimenting. And uh, when I was, you know, scared to break stuff, he was like, oh, let's just tear it apart and see how it works and figure it out. So Zoo Labs made countless introductions to the people who helped with the electrical engineering, the uh, the building the app, the manufacturing, lots of different business strategy, funding. And then during the pandemic, they closed. Um, so during the pandemic, Zoo Lab closed their bi- building and all of the artists that were, you know, working out of that space got displaced in the sense of, you know, they didn't have a place to work and they didn't have access to those tools. And one of the ways that I was able to continue was uh, I was able to stay in, in the building for one during the pandemic and then and build the first shipment of the Electrospit talk box. And then um, I was also um, I also was part of this organization called Runway that provided, uh, you know, income grants to help us with the manufacturing as well and peer support, you know, other talking to other entrepreneurs about what they're building and, and how they're able to keep going during the pandemic was super inspirational. And then uh, during the George Floyd protests, uh, it all really came to a head for me. And I asked myself, how am I going to support other um, black entrepreneurs and musicians in particular? And I thought about all of the outpouring, all of the support that I had that enabled me to get Electrospit to the point that it got to. And I decided to start, which was at that time called the Black Music Entrepreneurship Incubator and became Highwave later to provide those same kinds of resources for other um, Black musicians. And it, it has been an incredible uh, incredibly rewarding and difficult journey, but but we over the past three years we um, raised about four million dollars uh, for to support artists, and that turned into us being able to buy a new building that is now acting in, in a lot of the ways that Zoo Labs acted in terms of providing recording space, meeting space, the community space, event space, and then we're giving artists access to the networks that they need to build, build companies, help their, help uh, move their careers forward, get entrepreneurship education. And we just, we just completed our third cohort of the incubator and it's called Afro AI. And we had eight teams that built um, companies that are, using artificial intelligence either for uh, creation or uh, new business models that are related to music. And, you know, our, our goal is to create the next electrospit and, and much better, you know, um, and to, just to be there to provide the support that artists need to create something amazing using new technology. A lot of artists um, don't have a technology background or some do and they don't have a, a fundraising background or they don't have connections to uh, the resources that they need. And we want to be that bridge, uh, that support system 
that enables them to to realize their ideas and their dreams and to, and to create in the same way that that we were able to with electrospin. So that's been fantastic. Yeah, it's very cool. Congratulations on that. Thank you. Yeah, that's something that I wish more people would do. It's good for you for taking the initiative. Thank you. I'm I'm really I'm really proud of proud of what we've done and you know, I I think all throughout my music career I always felt like, you know, when I finally get to this level, I'm going to, you know, help other people and and, and you know, give to charity. And I realized some somewhere along the way that that you know, I've had a long career and I have a lot of information that I can share now. I don't have to wait to share. And, and even if I don't have, you know, millions and millions of dollars to, to give to charity, I can, I can give my time. I can, uh, I can give connections and resources and those resources and connections and, and, uh, the money that I've been able to raise from, from other, you know, uh, foundations has been incredibly valuable to our community of musicians and I, you know, I love to share and I, and I also, I'm always learning from them, you know, like it helps keep, keep me in touch with what's happening in, in music and in, in, uh, in the city. Uh, so, and then there's an incredible like social impact community in Oakland. So a lot of the projects that artists are, are doing are their creative projects, but they also have uh, social impact and benefits. So it's super rewarding. Very cool. Very cool. Last question, Bosco. What's the best piece of advice that maybe you learned along the way or someone imparted to you? Maybe I'll, maybe I'll run through a few things that are, have been really important and, and, and we can, we can pick. <laughs> but um, one, one of the things that's, that's been really important is not being limited by the amount of money or, that I have in my bank account. Like I had this vision for Electrospit and the dream of what it could be and not a lot of money, but because other people were also interested in, in what I wanted to build, I was able to find the resources, the, the, the talent, or the engine, you know, engineering, all, all of the things necessary because it was an idea that people could believe in and sharing instead of keeping this idea a secret the key was to share it with as many people as possible until i found those people that also wanted to see it happen that kind of thinking is what i've really been uh, focused on imparting to our community that you know rather than being in secret i feel like the person that shares the most wins <laughs> and not to say that it's you know it's a win-win when they win as they're sharing information, you know, I, I built this, there was a time when building the talk box or, or, or the talk box techniques that I had, I didn't want anybody to know because I thought if someone else knew how to play the talk box or knew the technology, then I wouldn't be special anymore. But if you're trying to sell talk boxes, you can imagine that it works a lot better if there are other talk boxers out there. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think that's, that's true for so many things, you know, um, the more people understand what you're doing, what you're building, what you're interested in, the more that they can support and be part of it. And, you know, the movement that you're creating can be bigger and the resources that you can get access to uh, can be much greater than what you imagined uh, or what you had 
access to without sharing. Yeah. And it's a lot more fun. So, so I, I, I think that's, that's, uh, that, that one is one of my biggest, uh, uh, points of advice. And then, uh, man, just don't give up. There were so many points in the journey of electo spit where, you know, we ran out, we ran, it seemed like we ran out of money, like once a month. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> yeah. we, we kept running out of money. You know, we kept hitting different dead ends and not being able to figure, you know, manufacturing. Uh, I, I always think about uh, this. There were a couple of really creative things I, I think that we did to, to stay afloat. We were out of money in uh, in 2019, as usual, and um, we still need to deliver 400 orders of the Electrospit talk box. And we, we didn't have the money to pay for the molds the plastic molds for the injection, injection molding. Uh, but we were in the process of getting test molds or, or test, uh, test plastic. And the company asked us, it was Fictive, this company named Fictive, which has been, they've been great. Uh, how many, you know, how many test pieces do you need? And like five or 10, or maybe we can even do 25. And I said, well, could you do 50? And I said, yeah, sure, why not? We'll give you 50 pieces. We took those 50 pieces and and built the first 50 Electrospit talk boxes and sold them for $1,000 a piece. And that was the money that we used to pay for the molds themselves and enabled us to manufacture, to deliver to the other 400 uh, pre-orders that we had for the talk box. So being creative and, and looking for ways to succeed when when it, it doesn't look good uh, and has enabled us to you know, overcome a lot of situations that felt impossible. And that's, that, that's just one story. I'm, I could, I could go on, give you like at least 10 stories <laughs> of where we were <laughs> at the end of our, uh, end of our rope and we, uh, we figured it out. So just don't give up. There's a way, there's a way to make it work. Stay creative. Hey, Bobby. Thank you for having me on the Inner Circle Podcast. Yeah. You can find out more about Bosco and the ESX-1 tubeless talk box at electrospit.com. That's electrospit, E-L-E-C-T-R-O-S-P-I-T, all one word, dot com. Thanks for listening and being in my inner circle. Remember, if you have any questions or comments, you can send them to questions at bobbyosinski.com. You can also learn all about the latest in music news, audio, and production news when you sign up for my newsletter at bobbyosinski.com. There you'll also find out about openings for my latest online classes and special events. That's bobbyosinski.com. To listen to the episodes of Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle, go to bobbyosinski.com and select the podcast tab or go to bobbyoinnercircle.com or you can find it in Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, Mixcloud, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, TuneIn Radio, Radio Public, and Podbean. At bobbyosinski.com and bobbyoinnercircle.com, you'll also find a sign-up form for my newsletter and for alerts for new podcasts. This is Bobby Osinski. I will see you next time. Bye.